Welcome back to Cherry Avenue True Crime Podcast. Multimillionaire Stephen Beard fell for the younger, attractive waitress who worked at his country club. Soon, he and Celeste were married. When Steve calls 911 and is discovered in his bedroom shot in the stomach, suspicion falls on Celeste's friend, Tracy. Months later, Tracy implicates Celeste. We will be going over the movie made about this case and then the true story behind it. The movie is Secrets of a Gold Digger Killer. It's a 2021 Lifetime movie starring Julie Bentz, Eli Gabay, and Roan Curtis. It can be found on Lifetime and is available to rent on Amazon Prime. The movie starts out with the words across the screen, based on true events, based on the book The Fortune Hunter by Susie Spencer. It's nighttime and we see a hooded figure walking into a large estate mansion. The figure enters the house, goes into the bedroom, takes out a shotgun and shoots a man who is lying there in bed, sleeping by himself. The man lets out a startled yelp of pain. The figure runs out of the house and the man picks up the phone and dials 911. They ask what his emergency is. I'm bleeding. I need help. Okay, sir. Can you tell me what happened? He tells them he doesn't know. My guts jumped out of my stomach. Hurry, I'm in pain. Are you there by yourself? My wife is somewhere in the house. Help is on the way, sir. Stay with me. The paramedics arrive and they rush to the bedroom. The man has the phone cradled between his head and neck. The 911 operator is asking if he is still with her. A woman and her teenage daughter run down the stairs and ask what is going on. Austin EMT, ma'am, are you Mrs. Beard? Yes, what happened? Where's Steve? Mr. Beard has had a medical emergency. He called 911. He has lost a lot of blood. The movie goes back four years ago. Austin, Texas. Celeste is a beautiful 30-something blonde woman working at a high-end restaurant, and she brings a drink to a man at the table. He's maybe early 60s, well-dressed, attractive. Here you go, sugar. Vodka tonic with a twist of lime. I didn't even order yet. Oh, I saw you put in your dinner order, so I had your drink made. Unless you're not drinking tonight, Mr. Beard. Now, Celeste, we both know I'm going to drink that, and then I'm going to order another one. When your prime rib arrives, Celeste smiles at him. I guess I'm a creature of habit. He smiles back at her. Did you go to the cemetery again today? She asks him. He nods. It's only been a few weeks since Elise passed. I can't seem to figure out what to do without her. Well, do what I do and go shopping. She bends down and shows him her necklace, as well as a glimpse of cleavage. Tells him how it cheered her up this morning when she went out and bought it. They talk a bit more, and he tells her this is why he likes to finish his day here. You make an old man happy, Celeste, he tells her. Oh, Mr. Beard, you say that to all the ladies. No, I don't. There is something special about you. She goes to get him another drink and talks to the bartender while she makes the drink. The bartender asks her what her plan is, to flirt with all these guys until one of them takes her home? No, I can get any one of them to take me home, but that doesn't pay my bills or get my girls new clothes. No, I'm waiting for a shot at a better life, and right now, that shot is over there. When she brings the drink over, Steve asks her when she is going to have dinner with him. She tells him whenever he wants. He says, how about now? She agrees and takes off her work vest 
grabs her jacket, and goes out the door with him. When Celeste arrives home to her apartment, one of her daughters is sitting at the kitchen table doing homework. Someone got home late, her daughter says. For good reason. Mama's moving up in the world. Did you get a promotion? Oh, I won't be needing that job much longer. Things are about to be much better around here. Mama's got a plan. It's been over a month dating now, and we see Celeste inside Steve's mansion-like home. This is the first time she has been over, and she's very impressed. He takes her over to an expensive-looking dining room, all set up with roses and candles for dinner. He tells her that he thought he'd have the restaurant come to them tonight. She is very pleased with how he had it set up for her and tells him so. I just sold my TV station for a hell of a lot, and Elise gone. I've got nothing but money, time, and nobody to spend it on except you. After dinner, they are having drinks in the living room. Why don't you take some of that money and redecorate around here? I mean no offense, but this place is more like a museum than a home. Elise put a lot of thought into all this, he tells her. Well, I mean, I'm sure she did 25 years ago. You are a lot more fun than all this beige and velour. And you're a lot feistier than most women around here. They're all worried about blending in. Not me, sugar. I was born to stand out. Here's to standing out. Steve lifts his glass in a cheers. Celeste looks around the house and says that a girl could get used to luxury like this. Steve tells her she deserves luxury like this. Oh, no, not me, she says. I mean, I don't need all these bells and whistles, but my girls, oh, they deserve so much more. They haven't had the easiest life. I miss someone to take care of, Steve tells her, and it gets lonely here by myself. Why don't you all move in? Steve and Beard, I mean, we've been dating for a month. What would people say? Screw em. I'm old enough to know that worrying about what people think is a waste of time. After some talking, Celeste agrees to move in with him. Back at home, she tells her teenage girls that the house is huge and they are going to have their own wing. They pack up and when they arrive to move in, Steve is making hamburgers. They meet his daughter, who appears to be about the same age or older than Celeste. Steve is very warm and welcoming to Celeste's daughters. Nine months later, Steve and Celeste are getting married. During the reception, Steve gives Celeste's daughters heart necklaces and tells them that they are a family now. He tells them that he wants to adopt them and make it official, if they would like that. They say they definitely would. Steve is a kind man, and the girls really like him. At the wedding, Steve's daughter doesn't look happy. When asked, she tells Steve it is embarrassing that everyone talks about how Steve's new wife is younger than his daughter. She tells her dad she doesn't trust Celeste. Steve tells her that he does trust Celeste, and he taught her better than to worry about what other people think. But Mom, what would she say? She would want me to be happy, he tells her. Becky, before Celeste came along, I was so lonely. I don't want to live the rest of my life like that. Is that a crime? No, the crime is that Celeste just loves you for your money. Well, she would be an idiot not to love my money, don't you think? Becky laughs. Celeste hears this last part and comes up smiling, saying, And I'm not an idiot. You know, Becky, I thought signing the prenup would put all this gold digger talk to rest. I'm here for your father in sickness and in health, just like the minister said. You signed a prenup? Of course. I'm not the greedy bitch you make me out to be. Becky laughs. 
Now maybe you'll give me the benefit of the doubt. Becky smiles, but she also sighs. She's not sure what to think. The movie moves back to present time with the paramedics loading Steve up on a stretcher and telling them that Medivac is there and they are going. Celeste is telling Steve he is going to be okay. Crying, she tells the paramedics to please take care of her husband. Please don't let anything happen to my husband. After they take him out, a detective comes to talk to Celeste, Detective Rawlings and Detective Gates. Were you with your husband when he made the 911 call, Detective Rawlings asks her. No, no, I was asleep in my daughter's room on the other side of the house. Is there any reason why you were in your daughter's room, Mrs. Beard? Steve snores so much, I, I don't always sleep in the same room. Did you hear anything? No, no, I didn't hear anything. Celeste turns to her daughter. Did you hear anything? The other detective picks up a shotgun shell from the floor. Is there an alarm system in the house? We got a shell here. Detective Rawlings says, I'm going to have to ask you ladies to step out of the room, please. Celeste and her daughter Christina are now at the hospital. In the waiting room, Detective Rawlings asks them how it is going. Celeste tells him Steve is still in surgery. Celeste's other daughter and her boyfriend arrive at the hospital. Detective Rawlings introduces himself and then asks to speak to Celeste in private. When they are alone, he asks her about the state of their marriage. Celeste tells him that it is wonderful. She loves Steve, and Steve loves her. There is a flashback to Steve looking over a bank statement and asking how she could have spent $300,000 so fast. They argue about the money and the fact that she had his deceased wife's jewelry appraised. He tells her he is saving that jewelry for his daughter Becky. He says he doesn't know how this is going to work. Celeste goes high and right and starts yelling about how he is going to divorce her. She runs to her room and comes back with a gun. You don't want me around anymore? I'll just kill myself. Her daughter Christina is downstairs by this point and both Steve and Christina are begging her to put the gun down. Steve is telling her there will be no divorce. Steve is telling her there will be no divorce. Then he tells Christina to call 911. Celeste finally listens to Steve and gives him the gun. The next day, Celeste is checking herself into a posh mental health facility where she attends group therapy. In therapy, she tells them that she finds her home life overwhelming and that her husband is controlling and she finds that hard to deal with sometimes. She makes a friend with a woman, Tracy, who is in her group. She asks if this is her first time. Celeste says her first and her last. Tracy tells her it's her third time. What's so wrong with you? Celeste asks her. Depression. It gets bad sometimes. So bad I hear voices. And I have a bad habit of choosing the wrong women. I tend to get my heart broken a lot. Sounds like you're just a sucker for love. Tracy chuckles. Maybe, but a sucker doesn't get angry. I do. Rumor has it I ran over my ex-girlfriend's husband with my truck. Celeste's eyes are wide. Did you? No, but I thought about it. They both laugh. Soon Celeste is back home and Steve lovingly welcomes her back. Another day, Celeste is meeting up with Tracy from group therapy and treating her to a manicure. They have become fast friends. In present day at the hospital, Detective Rawson is talking to Celeste's girls. He asks Jennifer and her boyfriend David if they were out of the house that night. Jennifer says yes, they were staying at David's. Any of you three wondering who might have done this to Mr. Beard? Christina says, someone broke into the house. 
Wasn't it a robber that shot him? That's what we're trying to figure out here. Have you asked Tracy Tarleton? David asks. She's a friend of Celeste's. She might want Steve gone. Please don't tell her mom that we told you that, Christina says to the detective. The two detectives go over to Tracy's to talk to her. They tell her Steve was shot. Tracy says that's awful, and is he... It's touch and go, Detective Rawlings tells her. They ask her if she is close with Mr. Beard. Tracy tells them she knows him through Celeste. She's okay, by the way, Rawlings tells her, in case you were worried. Well, that's good, Tracy says. I was going to ask. Of course you were, Detective Gates says. Where were you between the hours of midnight and 3 a.m., Rawlings asks. Um, sleeping. Found a shotgun shell in their bedroom, 20 gauge. Do you own a shotgun, Tracy? 20 gauge, 20, um, I don't. You might want to think real hard, Tracy, about what you're going to say, Detective Gates tells her. Because if you lie to us now, we're just going to go back, get a warrant, come back here, and search the place. Tracy opens the cabinet that contains the 20-gauge shotgun and lets them get it. Back at the station, the detectives are going over Tracy's record. Gates points out that she ran over some guy with her truck. They had both been drinking and got into an argument. Tracy is in the interview room, and they go in and tell her that Steve Beard just got out of a four-hour surgery, and they are expecting to hear from ballistics soon about a match to her shotgun. Rawlings is in the middle of telling Tracy that now is the chance to talk to them, when she interrupts and tells them she did it. She shot Steve Beard. She says she did it for Celeste. She shot Steve because she loves Celeste. Does Mrs. Beard know you shot her husband for her? Rawlings asks her. She knows I care about her, but Celeste has nothing to do with this. At the hospital, they ask Steve Beard if he knows Tracy Tarleton. He cannot talk yet, so they ask him to blink once for yes. He does. Then they ask if she is a friend of his wife's, and he blinks once again. Tracy gets out on bail and calls Celeste. Celeste arranges to meet her in the hospital parking lot. I did this for you, to save you, Tracy tells Celeste. You said you were going to get rid of the bullet casing. I'm worried about you, Tracy. You're not exactly well. And you are? I got you a little something. Celeste hands her a small gift bag. Tracy opens the small jewelry box and finds a diamond ring. That's a little fancy for me. I'm... Not exactly going out anywhere nice. You can be as fancy as you want sitting around your living room. And every time it sparkles, you'll know I'm thinking about you. I don't know what to say. I thought you were ignoring me. Of course not, sugar. Look, I wanted to find the casing. I really did. But Steve called 911 and the police showed up so fast. I didn't want them to find it. I'll fix this. I have a plan. Tracy leans in to kiss Celeste, but Celeste pulls back and looks around. Someone could see us. I miss you. You know I'm always going to take care of you. Later, Celeste is at the hospital visiting Steve, and he is able to talk. Somehow, she is able to use the fact that he got shot to get him to change the will. He already has a trust set up for her and the girls, which would take care of her for the most part. But everything else, including the house, would go to his daughter Becky. Steve tells her to call Bill. He will change his will now, and she will get half of everything. There is another flashback to where Celeste is having a meltdown over having nothing to wear. Steve shows her clothes from her closet that are brand new and have not been worn yet. She seems to not be able to understand and is still upset. Finally, he asks her if it might be a good idea to have another visit at Terrace View. 
She tells him that is probably a good idea, and would he call them because she is feeling a little shaky. She goes into the bathroom and calls Tracy. She tells her she'll be checking in tomorrow to have her request to be her roommate. Just tell them you're hearing voices again or something, she tells Tracy. She arrives at Tara's view and Tracy is waiting for her. Steve has been so controlling, she tells Tracy. The other day he said I wasn't pretty enough to leave the house, so he took my car keys. I was trapped at the house until he came home. Every day is something like that. I just don't know how much more I can take of it. Are you going to divorce him? Because then you and I could just... No, the prenup doesn't give me anything worthwhile if we get divorced, and it's not like I can just give him a heart attack. I'll think of something. Tracy nods. Celeste puts her hands to her neck. My neck is killing me. Do you want to give me a rub down? Tracy smiles and motions for her to come lay down on the bed. Celeste pulls off her shirt and lays on her stomach. They are in the middle of the massage when a nurse comes in and tells them it's time for group therapy. Back to present day, Celeste gets a call from a doctor that Steve passed away. Later that day, news reporters are asking if she had anything to do with her husband's shooting. She doesn't answer the question, but instead gives a prepared speech about how wonderful her husband was, how much he will be missed, and how she and the girls appreciate everyone's prayers. Mrs. Beard, what do you think of Tracy Tarleton, the alleged shooter? I pray for Miss Tarleton, and I blame myself for allowing her into our lives, not knowing how disturbed she really is. Tracy is watching the news, and she is shocked when she sees this. Later, she is crying, and she calls Celeste. She gets her voicemail, and she leaves her a message. The least you could do is not trash me in the media. You asked for this, Celeste. You said you'd take care of me. The police start knocking on Tracy's door, and she can hear Detective Rawlings identifying himself. Tracy calls Celeste again and leaves another message. I loved you, and I won't lie about it anymore, Celeste. I'm done lying for you. She then goes to the door, and they arrest her for murder. At the station, Tracy lets them know it was all Celeste's idea, and she wouldn't have done it if she hadn't asked her to. Celeste used me. She convinced me that Steve was controlling her abusing her. I couldn't see it before because I was in love. There's a flashback to Celeste telling Tracy how Steve is getting more controlling and doesn't want her to be friends with Tracy, that she is trapped and he won't let her get a divorce. Tracy tells her she could stay with her, but Celeste tells her he would just find her there. You have to help me, Celeste tells Tracy. But how? You love me, don't you? Tracy kisses her hand and then says, more than anything, I have a plan. Tracy says that is when she told her that she should shoot Steve to save her. At the funeral, Becky tells Celeste to stop acting and shedding her crocodile tears. She tells her to just admit that she never loved her father. Celeste said she loved him, and she still loves him, all $10 million of him. When Celeste and her daughters get home from the funeral, the detectives are waiting for them, along with some officers in uniform. Detective Rawlings tells Celeste she is under arrest for the murder of Stephen Beard. Her lawyer gets her out on bail, but he warns her that she needs to watch herself. Celeste goes to get her nails done and is talking to the manicurist, who has become like a friend after many years. Celeste is talking about Tracy and how she will say anything to save herself. Her manicurist reminds her that she did time in prison before. She still knows people from then, and she could maybe help Celeste with her Tracy problem.
Another day, Celeste's youngest daughter, Christina, decides to try and help her mom out with paperwork and paying bills. While going through records, she finds a copy of a canceled check for $10,000 made out to the manicurist with a note in the memo field reading, Nail Emergency. Then later, both daughters are sorting through paperwork, and they come across life insurance policies that their mother took out for $50,000 on each of them. The older sister points out that without them in the way, their mother would get a lot more of Steve's money. Christina goes to talk to Tracy in prison. She finds out from Tracy that she had done it to protect Celeste, that Steve was controlling Celeste and hurting her. Christina tells Tracy that Steve would never do that, that he was not like that. He loved us, she says. Tracy questions how she could be so stupid. She tells Christina she believed everything that Celeste said. Christina tells her that Celeste is good at that. It's not just you, she tells her. Tracy says that Celeste told her if she went to Europe with Steve, she would come back in a coffin, that he would force her to suicide or he would kill her himself. I wish she could hear what she said. Now it's just my word against hers. The sisters are worried for their own safety and they decide to try and get a recorded confession from their mother. At home, Celeste somehow falls down the stairs and ends up getting a cast for her leg. So on the first day of court, Celeste comes in dressed like a librarian and using crutches to walk. Her hair is pulled back in a simple, neat style, and she is devoid of makeup and is wearing glasses, which she usually doesn't. She is dressed in a demure knit cardigan. The prosecution starts. This case is about money, murder, and madness. The evidence will show that a greedy and manipulative defendant took advantage of a mentally ill woman who was in love with her. A divorce would net her $500,000, but his death netted her millions. Celeste Beard needed Tracy Tarleton to shoot her husband, Steve Beard. We expect that when you hear all of the evidence, you will agree this defendant is guilty of capital murder. The Defense The state's key witness, Tracy Tarleton, is crazy. The DA can't cooperate any of her statements. There is no evidence connecting Celeste Beard to this crime. This is really a case about fatal attraction and obsession. Tracy couldn't have Celeste all to herself, so she killed Celeste's husband. These are the actions of a delusional, mentally ill woman who cannot keep her own story straight. Of course, Tracy Tarleton points the finger at Celeste Beard. She is hoping to lighten her sentence. As for Mrs. Beard, she married well when she married Steve, but they were happy before his death. Steve Beard's murder was a tragic event at the hands of Tracy Tarleton. Tracy Tarleton takes the stand. You confess to shooting Steve Beard. That is not in question today. The matter at hand is why. Why did you shoot Steve Beard, Ms. Tarleton? I shot Steve because Celeste asked me to. She planned everything. Which door we would leave unlocked, her sleeping in the girls' room that night, she even suggested I shoot him in the stomach so the blood spatter wouldn't mess up the paint job on the walls. She said she didn't want to redecorate after he died. And just because Celeste Beard asked you to shoot her husband, why would you go ahead and do that? Because I loved her. I thought that if I shot Steve, we could be together and Celeste would be safe. So why turn in Celeste Beard now? Because I shot an innocent man because the truth has to come out so that Steve's family can have some closure. I have to live with this guilt the rest of my life, 
But Celeste lied to Steve. And she lied to me. And though I don't think she is capable of feeling any guilt, she has to pay for what she did. No further questions, Your Honor. Ms. Tarleton, is it fair to say you have been suicidal multiple points in your life? Yes, sir. Is it fair to say you have been homicidal? Yes, sir. What about delusional? I don't know. About what? About your relationship with Mrs. Beard. The two of you were friends, but in your mind, you are more than that. You thought you were lovers. No, that was real. We were in love. I love Celeste, and Celeste said she loved me too. The defense asks her to read a portion from the journal. Tracy reads aloud. It gets so hard to pretend I have a girlfriend who wants to see me and spend time with me. Pretend? Did it get hard pretending you were in a relationship with Mrs. Beard? Because that's what you were doing? Pretending? That's not what I meant. I was pretty medicated when I wrote most of this. Medicated? As in taking medication for a psychological issue? You tell me if this is right. Your psychological assessment from Menninger Clinic, one of the places you were treated, they described you as bright, manipulative, bipolar disorder, inclined to serious, even delusional misinterpretations of other people and reality. Does that sound accurate to you, Ms. Tarleton? Tracy is crying and nodding. She says out loud to Celeste, I loved you. I really did. I'm so ashamed of what I've done. I'm sorry for the pain I've caused the Beard family. I will never forgive myself. To answer your question, Mr. Masters, I was not delusional. I was deluded by Celeste Beard. The next day in court, the prosecution calls Christina Beard to the stand. Both Celeste and her lawyer look confused. You started tape recording your interactions with your mother, correct? Yes. And why did you start recording your mother, Christina? Because I thought that if she could hear herself on the recording, that she would realize how hurtful she was being. But then I heard something that I didn't want to believe. Your Honor, the prosecution wishes to enter into evidence the following tape. Objection. Grounds? The tape will corroborate previous testimony. On the tape, Celeste Beard is telling her daughter that the police arrested Heather, her manicurist, and she doesn't know what she's going to tell them. I wrote that check so Heather could hire someone to kill Tracy. Closing Arguments A lot of people believe that the Bible says that money is the root of all evil. What the Bible actually says is that the love of money is the root of all evil. Celeste Beard loved money more than she loved anyone or anything. She may not have pulled the trigger, but she did orchestrate her own husband's murder. You must find Celeste Beard guilty. Defense to the jury. Celeste Beard is not a saint, but she is a caring person who picks up strays. Tracy Tarleton is a stray who Celeste thought she could help. Celeste did not pull the trigger that killed Steve Beard. Tracy Tarleton shot Steve Beard in a state of delusion and selfish fury, wanting to have Celeste to herself. She is the real perpetrator of this crime. When the jury comes in, it is read that they have found Celeste Beard guilty of capital murder. The screen goes dark, and then it says, Celeste Beard was sentenced to life in prison. She is eligible for parole in 2042. Tracy Tarleton was sentenced to 20 years, reduced to 10 for her testimony against Celeste Beard. She was released in 2011. 
Christina and Jennifer Beard refuse to have anything to do with her mother. Celeste still maintains her innocence. Celeste Johnson was born on February 13, 1963. She was given up for adoption. Celeste claims that her adopted father physically abused her as a child. At 17, she got pregnant, got married, and had twins, Jennifer and Christina. Her first husband, Craig Bratcher, was abusive. Bratcher killed himself in 1996 after being arrested for assault against his second wife and her children. Celeste got married two more times before meeting Stephen Beard. Celeste was a waitress at a country club in Austin, Texas that Steve went to. She was 31 and he was 69, more than twice her age. Stephen Beard was a broadcasting executive and a self-made multimillionaire. He was also a widower. Celeste and her girls moved in with him just as it was portrayed in the movie. Then they got married February 18, 1995. Just over four years later, in October of 1999, Steve was shot in the stomach while sleeping. Unlike in the movie, though, Stephen Beard was released from the hospital at some point. Then, tragically, he died from a blood clot on January 22, 2000. He was 75 when he passed away. Celeste married her fifth husband, Spencer Johnson, in July of 2000, six months after Stephen's death. In April of 2000, Celeste's daughters began recording her calls. On one call, Celeste told them that she had hired someone to kill Tracy. Stephen Beard was born on November 27, 1924. He married Elise Adams in 1948, and they had three children, including daughter Becky. Elise passed away in 1993. He really did adopt Celeste's twin girls. The girls said he gave them affection and family, things they didn't have before. Tracy Tarleton was arrested six days after the shooting. She was released on bond. Then when Stephen died in January of 2000, she was arrested again, but this time for murder. In March 2002, Tracy agreed to testify against Celeste Beard in exchange for a reduced 20-year prison sentence. Tracy got a 10-year sentence with another 12 years of probation. She made parole in August of 2011. Stay tuned after the music for the bonus movie name and to hear my review of a haiku book that I won. It's Serial Killer Haiku. The bonus movie name is True Betrayal. It is a 1990 movie that I found free to stream on Tubi TV. It stars Mayor Winningham and Peter Gallagher. Based on a true story, a Houston private detective falls in love with a suspect in a double murder of an elderly couple who were shot in their bed. Again, I found that one on 2B TV that's free to stream. I won this book. It's called The Serial Killer's Book of Haiku 2. So there's two of them. First one is The Serial Killer's Book of Haiku and then The Serial Killer's Book of Haiku 2. It's by Rose Bundy. It's definitely what you think it is. Brutal in its depiction of a dark subject but very real with it. Absolutely amazing that it is done in haiku. I, I, don't, I don't think that haiku is easy to do, but that's me. It's not fluff, though, so be warned. It's not for the faint of heart. And it is available on Amazon. Sources for today's episode. Man is fatally shot while sleeping at the request of his wife, horrorhistory.net. Betrayed by her own children, CBS News. Twins, Lesbian Lover, Unraveled Texas Murder, ABCNewsGo.com, Celeste Beard, Wikipedia, 
Celeste Beard, Murderpedia, the Encyclopedia of Murderers. Thank you for listening, and as always, be safe.